And we are back. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Today on the High Button Podcast, Brad McCharles. Brad runs Empire Goaltending. If you don't know what Empire Goaltending is, it's one of the elite goalie hockey schools here in Atlantic Canada. Uh, they invited me out actually last month to go shoot on Jacob Gooby and Matt Welsh. One of the best, you know, ex- not one of the best experiences ever, but uh, a really cool experience getting to see the the mind of a of a goalie coach. It's a lot different than a player coach. You're working on a lot more timing, a lot more accurate shots, and most importantly, you're there to help the goalies, not so much, you know, the the, the shooters. You want to make sure that the goalies are getting better. And you know, whenever I played as a or practice as, as a player, I always shot the puck to score. I didn't really shoot to to make the goalie better. That was just up to them. So going out to this goalie school the other day with uh, with Brad at Empire Goaltending, it was a really cool experience and in timing my shots and and making sure that the goalies got better. I had a great time. Brad's been on the podcast before. Uh, I'm excited to have him back. It's going to be a great conversation. We hope you enjoy. You know what comes next. Here we go. Exactly. All right, Brad, we're going. <laughs> we're going. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just saying the conversation we were having was great. Let's just keep going with it. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, yeah, just talking about about summer camps with with COVID and yeah. everything going on with with yeah. how you know guys like me are have to operate. You know, it's it's been a it's been a real challenge. And yeah. like I said, we're we're hoping that some things are changing now like with with that atlantic bubble opening i'm hoping that was the kind of the stimulus for it again i think we were you know we had a few people come in i think from travel stuff that that kind of threw a wrench into things um but i think they were taken care of and today we had no new cases and it seems like you know atlantic canadians are doing the job we just had a couple people that maybe have been working abroad or were were coming from in the states that gave us a positive case but apparently they were nabbed and and they're isolated now so that's the thing. Like, have you seen that map from uh, the states to Canada? The red dots all the way down in America compared to Canada. I don't Canada? think there's a lot of these maps going around showing like coronavirus in the states compared to Canada, and it's uh, America's red, yeah, and then Canada's nothing. Yeah, it was just it's mind blowing. And when it, we've had this conversation with every single guest that's come on the podcast about the NHL hub cities, and you're just like, okay, well now it's in Toronto, Edmonton. It's like that's great. Hockey's coming back. I'm pumped, but. Do I really want people from around the world going to, coming to Canada right now? No, I don't know. You know, it's, yeah, no. 100%. I get they're going to be in a bubble. I get it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and for sure, and you know, like I mean, for guys like you, the media presence will be interesting. Like, is there any media? Probably not, because like I say, international media would cover it. So will those guys just be kind of limited to what yeah. they're watching and then reporting on that, or will they be able to be in there interviewing guys at like press conferences? I saw a tweet from uh, a guy that works at Sportsnet, and one team is designated, uh, or they're supposed to have one media member. Okay. So this means this this one guy's doing interviews. He's doing you know well maybe he's just working with his iPhone or camera. I don't know what he's doing, but one team has a media guy, and then obviously the television networks will be in there filming for for schmucks like us. To yeah, watch. yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. So so it'd be interesting if Pittsburgh has a as a Canadian guy. Or if they oh, don't, see what you're saying. If they yeah. have to bring in an American, you yeah. know what I mean? That's that's kind of my thing, yeah, because all these teams are being covered. So, yeah, because international media members, I think even more so than the players, I think the players will be, you know, tested, you know, regularly and, and they're kind of under watch. But I think a media member may be kind of off to their own devices in terms of how they can act in the bubble. Like, again, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just kind of making an assumption. So that's what I was that was that's what I was thinking. 
in yeah. terms of how how the how it will be covered because if you have international media members, I mean, how many Russians are in the league? How many Swedes are in the league? Does Russia have somebody that that goes to NHL or yeah. follows the NHL? Like, does the Russian sports network pay a guy yeah. to travel around and and report yeah. on Ovi and report on Malkin and report on you know whatever like whatever yeah. might be going? So I don't know. But I'm assuming they're taking, you know, every precaution necessary. It certainly seems like we are, and hopefully it goes, man. It's going to be interesting. I mean, like, it's really interesting, especially around here, like with the major junior and stuff. That's going to be that's going to be the big test. I mean, the, the NHL guys, I mean, yes, there are guys who make the league minimum, and, and when they sign in the NHL, they probably bought expensive houses that they still have to pay a mortgage on. And they probably don't want to leave right now. They, but. Yeah, but like, but like you say, I mean, a guy, like, there could be some pressure on some of those guys to play for financial reasons. There's not pressure on all of them. A lot of them make a lot of money, and I'm sure they're going to be fine if they have to, you yeah. know, if, you know, cover them. But I'm sure there are guys that, that could be in dire financial straits. If And I was thinking about this today, too. Just And again, I don't know enough about it, but um, in terms of incentive-based contracts, I'm sure there were guys yeah. like, you know, like to get an extra 500K if yeah. they hit 30 goals. And maybe there were 27. They're like, man, if the season's canceled, I'm not going to hit that bonus, right? So, you know, and how do those kind of things in their contracts? Because there's guys that have games played. I'm sure older veterans who've had injury things like, yeah. well, if you play 75 games, this, you know, extra 250K kicks in. And yeah. I'm sure, like, I don't know how those all work around yeah. the COVID and the stoppage and stuff because it seems like they're just going into this play-in tournament right away. The regular season's kind of a wash. August 1st, yeah. So, yeah, so how would these guys that stopped at however many games it was and they needed two goals to hit that that incentive in their contract yeah. – they need a three assist to hit that incentive in their contract. Do they not get those bonuses or whatever? That's where the agents come into play. The agents yes. are like, give me my clients' what money. Are those, yeah, how do you negotiate those? Like, yeah. Maybe they just break it down to, like, a, I don't know what the – like a ratio. Like he was on pace to get it, yeah. so he should get it kind of thing. Maybe yeah. I don't know. I, it's one thing I really haven't heard yeah. in all the negotiations around the contracts and all. Like what about incentive clauses in, in contracts and how are those going to play out kind of thing, but. I guess we'll see. It was like the LeBron um, Giannis thing in the NBA. Like a lot of people think, you know, LeBron now, not like LeBron needs money, of course, but <laughs> I'm sure he has some kind of incentive. He gets some kind of $5 million bonus if he wins league MVP. And when the NBA shut down, he was kind of catching Giannis. It looked like, like yeah. LeBron was really starting to, to pick it up and, and maybe catch Giannis for the league MVP. So, I mean, things like that, right? Like it'd be, you know, like you said, the agents and the GMs, they just must be on the phone and on the computers. And what and else do they have to do? You know, well, that's a good point they're too. money hungry. Give me yeah. my money. My client needs money. For sure. What else are they doing right now? Absolutely. Like I said, I mean, it's all relative, right? Like when you take in taxes and when you take in, you know, homes and cars that these guys have bought and have payments on. And yeah. So you say, well, how do you argue about that kind of money? And I'm sure a lot of them are smart with their money, but maybe some of them aren't and they're kind of living quasi paycheck to paycheck or something. Like I said, yeah. if you have a, a $5,000 mortgage on your house and a, and a $3,500 one on the house you bought your mom or the yeah. house, like, I mean, those kind of things add up. And if, if you're not um, pulling in the, the salary that you thought you were going to do, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's some pressure on guys that way too. But yeah. again, I'm not in those conversations. I don't know enough about it. I just, find it, I just find it interesting. So. That's why we do the podcast. Exactly. Talk about things we don't know about and just <laughs> yeah. say, maybe this is, it could happen. You never know. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I, it's interesting too with like, um, you know, players being away from their families too. Like, I, I, I don't think it was someone in the NHL, but I think it was someone in the NBA that brought up mental health and people being locked up in a, a hotel away from their family for four, potentially four months. That's tough. 
Like I, I don't have a kid or a wife or anything like that, but just being locked up in a hotel away from my family for four months, that's it's, that's not easy. I, like being in a hotel for longer than a week, I go nut crazy. Yeah. You know, I, I, I it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting. You yeah. know, going back, that's that's a relief in hockey. Like whenever we watch like HBO twenty four seven or Sportsnet does these things, they always emphasize family with these players. It's great to come home and see the wife and the kid. It's a break away from hockey. I love getting away from the game. Henrik. Henrik Lundqvist started like a, a band in New York. He's just like with uh, the tennis player there. McEnroe. McEnroe. I think he plays with Johnny Mac. Yeah, he's just like, you know, I love getting away and just playing the guitar and not thinking about hockey. But now, switch those roles. As soon as they're done away from the rink, they're in the hotel with their teammates, doing all, you know, things with their teammates. Hockey, hockey, hockey. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out on everyone going crazy. You know, there's usually no fights in the playoffs. I mean, there could be a couple fights this year. People just going fucking nuts. Just fuck. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and again, it's it's our, like, you know, you got to walk that fine line feeling sorry for some of these guys because they are making a ton of money. But you're right. This is totally something that's that's out of the norm for them. Like, you could argue, like, oh, you know, tons of people do that. They work in the yeah. oil fields and they yeah. go away for a month and they come home for a week. Or the military guys, they go on tour for six months or something. It's true. What about these guys? But those guys signed up for that. Yeah. Like, you know, those guys signed up for that that part of the job where the NHL guys didn't. They thought they'd have half their games at home. And, yeah. and things. so it, it could be a shock to the system. And like you said, to your kids, like, you know, dad's yeah. always here and he's always told us he's going to be here. And now yeah. all of a sudden he's gone away for three months or, yeah. or whatever it could be potentially if he went to Stanley Cup. So, you know, again, people will say, well, they make a million bucks and all that. But you know what? Like it, like a lot of these guys are new dads and, you know, new, new spouses. Some of them may have just gotten married and, and you know whatever the situation is, it, it could still be tough. And I think that's something that that um, that I think for the most part the public has been pretty empathetic with, because I think yeah. we've all kind of seen like, man, we've all had to really kind of like, you know, this is we're all kind of in this together. And, yeah. and so I think that people are being pretty empathetic for the most part. Yeah. Um, so I hope that continues. I hope it continues. If if somebody feels they have to leave, if somebody's kid gets sick. And they feel they have to leave. I hope people can be, yes. you know, sympathetic to that. And I think, I think for the most part, they will. Yeah, we'll see. Can you imagine like Game Seven, like Ovi's kid gets sick. He's like, I got, what do you? I got to go back to Russia. What do you want? A hundred percent. Yeah, know? absolutely. Or, or Washington, or wherever, yeah. or wherever the kid's based. But I think someone in the NBA may have said that. I think that was a thing. Like yeah. his kid has maybe some health problems. It might have been Avery Bradley actually. Okay. For the Lakers, who said, you know what, I just can't go. You know, yeah. he has he has some health problems, and I just can't be away. Yeah. And that's the thing you say. Well, you know, how, you know, how, but well, man, like you're asking me to go away from three three months for my little boy. That's a big I think ask. He's maybe five or six years old. That's right. It, it is a big ask. And like I said, especially you know when you head in, you sign in for the job. You never thought you'd be away from your family for three or four months. Yeah. You know, per year for your job, right? They thought the most I'd be away is. Uh, a weekend swing on the east coast you know yeah. maybe five days on the east coast and then we're back or seven days or western swing or something like that and then you're back home so you know for some of these guys it is going to be a shock to the system no matter how much money you make yeah yeah absolutely mm. well said well it'll i'm interesting to see how it all just plays out i mean even the tv broadcast side of it i'm excited to sit here watch the tv and just see what it looks like to watch an nhl no, think about it since well since you were born since i was born you we've never watched a pro game with no one in the stands you know think about that think about a guy lifting a stanley cup this year just cheering with his teammates no crowd nothing uh, it, it's going to be so interesting to see how it affects the players and the teams because i know you know what's a team that has a great fan base 
you know, San Jose is a great fan base. Game seven, you, you see those fans in there just going nuts, even though it's in California. They, you know, they say that that's one of the hardest rinks to go into play. Sure. San Jose, oddly enough. Yep. You know, San Jose, are, are they even in this round robin? That's a great question. I don't you know, know. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, so don't even, I don't even know. I'm so out of it right now. Yeah. It's really, but I was thinking about that exact thing. I think it was yesterday. Um, the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Pro- probably the biggest home court advantage in, in NBA. Like, probably the best crowd in the NBA. Like maybe they, professional sport. Other maybe, than the Leafs, where else yes. do you see a team? Like they were in uh, Golden State with the finals. Half the stadium was Raptors fans. Yep. Unbelievable fan presence for the Raptors, right? And like you say, you're in Toronto, Jurassic Park's outside. Place is going crazy. Like, they've got stages, concerts going. It's like when Nashville made the finals, you know, how crazy that was. I heard like, I heard stories about that place that during that time the when they were in the street or whatever was packed in. And, and Toronto's pretty much like that now. Like, that's a basketball town. And, and people, man, they have a tough time. Like, the Raptors have a great home record. And, and uh, so for them, like, you know, to lose that is, I think, you know, especially as a two seed, especially where they were playing so well, they were going to have home court until the Eastern final, you know, if they played Milwaukee yeah. and if it wasn't against Milwaukee. And I think they had maybe just they were only below the Lakers across the league, too. So they might have had home court against the West, too, if they had made it was the Milwaukee, final. L.A., tr- or Toronto and Toronto. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, they had a pretty decent shot at having a lot of games in Toronto and having that fan presence, which makes a huge, like you said, like any athlete will tell you, like you just mentioned it, how much you get out of the crowd, like how much you get out of the crowd. So it will just be interesting to see the player intensity too, especially if some games get out of hand, right? Especially if a team gets down four or nothing, like you were saying about the fights and stuff like that. If a team's down four or nothing or three nothing, they don't have the crowd to pump them up to bring them back. Are they just going to, like, just fold? Like, how's that all going to play out? Because, I mean, the fans are so, so important. What's the first thing that that the people mention with their Stanley Cup parade is thanking the fans, best fans in the world. We Like, the the players get so much from the fans. So you raise a great point. It's going to be very interesting. I don't know if they're going to pump in the crowd noise or whatever they're going to do. Who knows? Because you're right. It'd be really interesting if all we hear are the guys yelling at each other and chirping. Yeah. That could be that could be another form of interesting. Yeah, that's true. Sure. With the mics, you could hear a couple f bombs on there. You're pumped. Man, like, yeah. sometimes you can hear it just during a normal game Unreal. with the crowd. I love it. Right? Like I yeah. Love it. So without a crowd, man, yeah, they're gonna have to do some work with the mics because they have those mics behind the glass that for the goalies and the shots and absolutely, all that. Absolutely. Yeah. So and that's where the best chirps are on the corners. Absolutely. Yes. When you're mucking it up on the yeah. boards. So it could yeah, it's how they handle that stuff. Um, back to the chat, the Chad uh, crowd, excuse me, cheering. You ever run a marathon or anything like that? No. I don't want to sound like a dick here, but I ran a marathon once. Yeah. And there's times I had this guy, we had a um, we had someone on here when we were talking about marathons. And when you run a marathon, you're exhausted, obviously. Yes. But there's people on the side that hand you water and cheer for you. For sure. And I've never, I've only ran this marathon once. It was the Blue Nose. And I, okay. I, I can't tell you how much of a, you know, when you're going on a jog, you're just done. You're just, you breathe and you can't do anything. It is amazing the amount of power that you can just somehow will into your body when you hear, you know, 17 people, 17 strangers on the side saying, keep going, you can do it. It's insane, and I, I relate that to what we were just talking about with yep. the crowd cheering. It, 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 I've never played in a hockey game where I, I had a home crowd cheering me on, but 
when I was running this marathon and I was just dying, could barely go almost at the, the home stretch. And there's just a bunch of random people saying, you could do it. Go, go, go. It's amazing. The amount of energy. It was it's almost like a shot of adrenaline. You're like, okay, yeah, I'll go. And I, <laughs> I, I imagine it's the same thing playing in front of 20,000 people in Nashville. Yeah. You know, it, but that's what I'm coming. It comes back full circle. I think circle it is the here. same thing. That's when it comes back full circle. I'm excited to see the psychological aspect of everything with the game, with the players, because I always, when we, whenever we have hockey players on here, we like to talk about you know, honestly things outside the game or things that affect the game. Because you know, you and I both know the game of hockey, sure. but you know, the re- people that know the game of hockey really, really well know the things that affect it. So when I'm watching a game of hockey, you and I are able to see little things that maybe no one else will see. Maybe a little chip off the boards that was so creative and so skillful and so just how did the fuck did you do that? And when, now when this comes on and there's no fans and there's going to be things that are just completely out of the norm, there's going to be so many storylines. There's going to be so many things that people are going to get excited about. And that's what I'm just, you know, I can't wait to sit down here and watch. No, it's just, no, it's, just it's going to be completely different. It's it, Yeah. And I mean, I think like, you know, it'll probably show some players in a different light. You know, I think some guys are going to rise to the occasion. I read, like I said, I really like, I really like Pittsburgh's chances now just because of Sid and his leadership. Why? And, what, and, why do you think Sid, why does it make a difference now from? Well, just because I think like, I think he'll be able to rally the guys. I think, I okay. think he will. I just, I think he's one of the best leaders in, in all of sports, just from what I've seen when you're able to lead, you know, not just professional athletes in Pittsburgh, but the best athletes in your country to a, to a world championship, the way he's done it at the Olympics and the world cup and that kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. I just think he's going to be able to to lift guys up, you know. Yeah. I really do, and I think those kind of qualities, like those leadership qualities, uh, are really going to come through. And we'll see. Like like you said, like guys with guys that you know may have young families and young wives and don't haven't really experienced you know anything like this. Not that anybody has, but just experience any of the grind. I think you know. Hopefully, they'll have good veterans around them that can kind of that can get they can kind of lean on, you know. Because I think it'll be. I would say a little bit tougher on those guys, like you know, especially being in a bubble, and maybe they're maybe they enjoy a little bit of nightlife more than some of the older veterans do, and things like that, and they won't be able to kind of partake in those kind of things because they're just kind of locked in, and you yeah. can't be going out to bars and stuff when you're off nights, yeah. when you're locked in this bubble because they can't, you know, track your or trace your your contacts or whatever, right? So those guys are going to be in those situations, and I think leaning on on good leadership is going to be big is going to be big for a lot of these teams, like NBA, NHL, baseball, whatever. We had a Matt Ants on here, Matt Anthony, the assistant coach for Cape Breton, and we had the conversation about leadership and how it's one of the most underrated qualities of a, of a, of a core group in any sport, leadership. And I like what you said about Sid, how he's going to be able to lead uh, lead during this time. I, I agree. You know, oh, yeah. when you have guys at his age that are, you know, I'm not saying he's coming down from his peak, but he's definitely you know at his peak, maybe a little bit on the way down, you know. Yeah something special could come from this oh for sure you know for something sure. special could come oh, from this yeah. same and, from lebron yeah from you know LeBron, so lebron's yeah. in the same position yeah 100 and i think people are thinking in in football tom brady i'm a big patriots fan big tom brady are fan you? and uh and tom's one of those guys i think brady's probably again one of the best leaders in in pro sports maybe ever and if you look at a guy like being able to check his ego and and do whatever it takes for the team i think yeah. you know brady and and you know guys like that are are the the example of it, you know, um, 
a lot of guys, a lot of guys have claimed Brady, you know, might be a system QB because there's a lot of checkdowns and there's a lot of uh, short passes and, and dishes to the running backs and changing the running plays, changing the plays to the running game. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of guys, especially when you're making big, huge money and you're you're QB one and you're the guy that can check their ego like that and can actually, you know, say no, I'm going to try to throw it. You throw the incomplete pass and now you got to punt, right? Where a guy like Tom Brady has always just, you know, said, you know what, I'm going to do. I want rings and I want our team to do well, so I can take a check down. I can do a short pass and and like I say you pump up your your fullback that you just did a little three yard pass to when he gets the yards and you can pump that guy up so there's leadership in that too and I think guys like like Brady and Sid and LeBron are, are huge and I think the Lakers have a great chance too just because of that you know yeah. and I think the Raptors have a great chance just because Nick Nurse I think that guy's a great leader and I think Kyle Lowry's a great leader and I think they have excellent leadership on that team and they've been there last year so they're definitely my pick out of the East, and you know I'm sure they'll get Kawhi or, or LeBron out of the West, but yeah. we'll see how that goes. Um, I don't know much about football at all, but I like what you were talking about Tom Brady there and how he has a leadership ability. Six championships. I think about Mike. Did you watch the Michael Jordan documentary? For sure. And but then I <laughs> but then I look at Tom Brady's personality, and I've seen some of his mic'd up clips, and he gets intense, and you're like, okay, that's great. But I, I like looking at maybe different styles of leadership Michael Jordan compared to uh, Tom Brady because. You, you, you know, if you talk about greatness in, in our era, or not our era, but, you know, in our lifetime, yeah, those two guys are neck and neck. You, you can't argue with that, I think. I don't yeah. know football, but no. in, in, in the football sure. world, are they saying that? For sure. I, I think so. I think it's a great comparison, to be Is honest. It? And that's the one I'd like to see, like, not just because I'm a Brady fan, but I think it's the most interesting. I think if you chronicled, like, the last dance and did the 20-year Patriot run yeah. with Bill Belichick and you had to go through – you know, Spygate and Deflategate and everything that team's been through and how Belichick and Brady kind of persevered through it. Mm. But you make a great point about the two leadership styles and which one's more effective because it seemed like there was a little bit of resentment from guys about the Michael Jordan thing. And I don't think there's too much resentment from people that have played with Tom Brady. I think that Michael Jordan's style was kind of like, you know, get better, you've got to be great. I want you to be as great as me or you need to be as great as me. Where Tom Brady's kind of approach is you are as great as me, so figure it out. Like, you know what I mean? Like he said, like, I believe you're up here. Jordan maybe kind of like, I don't believe you're here. You yeah. need to try to like, but Brady kind of pumps guys up, it seems. And like I say, you don't hear too many people, you know, being resentful of Brady after they leave the Patriots. Where on, you know, the Last Dance documentary, you know, there's a little bit from Horace Grant and maybe Pippen. And yeah. I forget, there was a couple other guys that said, you know, you, you know, it's kind of tough. You got a guy yelling yeah. in your face all the time, maybe because he says you're not good enough yeah. or whatever. But I think Brady's kind of style and why they've been so successful, like, you know, yeah. the greatest dynasty probably ever especially in football and the salary cap being able to go to nine super bowls and in 20 years or in 18 years as him as the starter which yeah. is insane but i think it comes from his ability to kind of lift guys up and i think sid's the same way i think just sorry. oh sorry, sorry yeah it's all good. i think it's all good i think just uh sid's the same way yeah you know and, and why he's been so successful i think he kind of takes that approach yeah. is you know looking for the good in people and finding you know the ways they are great yeah. and then challenging them to achieve that challenging them to bring that out of themselves and i think you're going to find when you know whoever ends up winning this thing like whether it's the nhl major league baseball um, NBA, I think whichever teams end up winning all these things, a lot of people in media or fans will point to, well, you know, look at these guys, look at this guy they have, or these couple guys, look at this leadership group. Mm. I think that's going to be a common thread 
not just so much they had the most talent, I yeah. think, because this is a very, very special circumstance we're in. Yeah. Very, very special. And I think it's going to take a special group of people to win it. And it might not be the necessarily most talented guys. Yeah. I, th- I think the leadership aspect and, like you said, how underrated it is, I think we're going to see how much of a quality it really is when we see guys or uh, girls, whoever, like, you know, the, the women's soccer I saw started up back too, um, end up winning these championships. Yeah. I think it's going to be big. Wrong time to take a sip, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I 100% agree. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Uh, you know, hopefully, they don't stop and start or start and stop. That would be tough. Just end it if they do that. If you stop it once, end it. 100%. No one's gonna, I think right. they will. Yeah, stop it once, it's they over. will. I think they will. And then they like say, then you get into the football season again. I'm a big football fan, and uh, college football is gonna be very, very interesting, man. Very interesting. Are they gonna start paying those players or what? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's, um, you know, I'm pretty sure that, you know, all the fans in the stands for, for Michigan or Alabama or Clemson um, are not just paying, you know, the coach's salary or for the weight room. You know, I think a lot of those fans are paying for, you know, Bunsen burners in the chemistry lab too. And so when you shut down, you know, NCAA sports, football, basketball, these huge, huge money makers. Again, I don't think those are just paying the salaries of the coaches of those teams. I think the revenue generated by NCAA football and NCAA basketball, you know, permeates throughout the university. So I think they, you know, contribute to athletic scholars or academic scholarships and they, they contribute to other things in, in the academic sphere. So when people say, well, can we have, you know, NCAA football? You know, I think a lot of university presidents are down there going, holy cow, what are we going to do if we don't have, you know, our 110,000 fans that we get at Ohio State or Michigan or some of these big, big programs? So I'm very interested to see. I just saw the Ivy League said they're going to postpone their football until spring. No way. Yeah, so like Harvard, Yale, like all those schools are going to play football now starting in February maybe or February or March or something, which takes them right out of the whole equation. Unless Someone's the pockets schools... just got lighter. Well, they're trying to – I think the, 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 the thing is there, they're saying, well, we can't lose this revenue. Yeah. So we have to find a way to get this revenue because it is so important, right? So if we say – you know, we want to just have, we're not going to move it to spring. Like some of these big programs are saying right now, we'll see if they change their tune. But I think they say, well, if we can't have fall football or fall basketball or whatever the case may yeah. be, so now we can't have it at all. Cause we're not like, we're going to lose that revenue. And I think again, it's not just the coach and the assistant coaches who's going to lose their salary for that year because there's no football. I think it's, yeah. you know, the theater might not get, you know, new sets for Macbeth or whatever or yeah. whatever. Like, you know, I Hockey think the, team might not get new sticks. Well, whatever. I think all the athletics. Yeah, that's right. The athlete, like some of those big programs, exactly like you said, like to some maybe like may not have um, like for all I know, Duke has a hockey team. I don't know. Maybe they're like a, a college or something like that. And maybe their basketball team helps fund that. And so if I never not, thought of it that yeah, way. Yeah, so because I know a lot of schools do that, right? Like they, they? they they share the wealth. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like so, it's not just like the Alabama football team doesn't just pay for the Alabama football team. Yeah, I see right? what you're saying. They pay for other things at the science school. lab. I exactly. Get it. And so I think that's why 
you know, so, you know, the U.S. colleges are like, holy cow, how, yeah. can, we, how can we do this? Now, yeah. again, I'm not 100% sure, yeah. but I know the revenue, like, because I always hear, like, you know, billions of dollars in TV money and all this kind of stuff, billions. Of, I said, well, I know Nick Saban is the coach of Alabama. It makes a lot, but I don't think he makes a billion dollars. Yeah. Right? I don't think he makes <laughs> $200 million. If, yeah. say, Alabama football generates $100 million, well, yeah, you can pay some coaches there and you can put some weights in the weight room, but then there's a lot of money left over. And I'm sure that goes to other programs at the university, be it athletic or academic or whatever. So losing that revenue becomes, you know, a huge, a huge problem. Yeah. So for these, you know, for these schools, when yeah. you're saying, oh, no, you can't have football, you can't have, you know, like, it's well, an issue. Holy cow. What are we going to do? Like, what's what's going to happen with our school? We had O'Malley on the podcast, goes to Notre Dame, and he was talking about... Oh, Michael Leary. Michael Leary, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Terrible with names. Brad, yeah. my bad. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and he was saying that essentially the football team on that campus has their own school, separate. They got their own cafeteria, own practice facility, own classrooms, own everything. Like, it's just essentially the it's the football team and then hockey team secondary. And I never even thought of that. I mean, we had... Steiny was over here the other day, Matt, his son... And he was talking about how Cornell is that's the, that's the team. The hockey team is that number one team. Yeah. And like you look at it from both perspectives, you have that you go to that one school that's huge. It has that football team. Yep. And you're that second team. You're the hockey. You know, you're the you're the hockey guy. But then you go with a uh, Steiny and you go to Cornell and like, no, you are the guy. You're that number one team. Everyone goes to see you. But then maybe you know you're not bringing in that revenue. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to like to hear both stories and and, and see how it works like that. But. I never thought of the fact that maybe there's, there's football teams out there paying for the hockey team sticks. Yeah, like I don't know if that's the case. But, I, I, but I, it that just kind of makes sense. It does. Yeah, it, it makes j- sense. It just kind of makes sense and kind of, yeah, and kind of being around like when they say like being able to allocate monies and, and where they can go and, and trying to be equal, you yeah. know what I mean, and trying, and trying to help other people out. Because I know that even um, one, of, uh, one of my clients, um, Tara Lentaine, uh, played in um, RIT. Okay. And just um, women's hockey in NCAA D1. Yeah. And just world-class facilities. World-class facilities. But they don't bring a lot of fans, right? So they don't – so, like, their fan base or whatever isn't paying for their facilities. The money comes from other places, whether it's, you know, donations from alumni or tuition or, yeah. or whatever, you know. So there's all – like, it's not just – this team pays for them. This team, like I just don't think it works like that. Just yeah. kind of based on what I've what I've heard and mm. what I've seen, it just doesn't seem like that. And even even guys like you say, like these big alumnus, like these CEOs of Fortune 500 companies that that graduated from a certain school. Well, I mean, a big part of their you know contributions of the school probably come from them being football boosters. Yeah, and if they're like you know if if such and such a school says, hey, it's time for your annual you know, million dollar donation. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, I always make that at homecoming weekend when I'm watching my football team play, but they're not playing this year. So am I going to write that check for the million this year? Maybe yeah. not. Right. So maybe they're putting pressure on them to have football. Right. Cause they, cause that's a big part of it. Like especially NCAA sports is when you're talking about the big ones, like football, you know, basketball, baseball, maybe um, it's huge. It's yeah. huge, huge money. And I, I think the trickle down or whatever, the effect on the rest of the, the schools themselves yeah. is bigger than maybe some people realize. And that's why I think maybe a lot of like, Oh, how can you do this? How can you have kids on campus and stuff? But they're yeah. thinking, man, Somebody get a vaccine out because we need we need this revenue. Yeah, right. We need it's all this, about money. We need this revenue. We need these kids going. So when we went up to Boston, we saw Willie DeVoe play at Harvard. Me, dudes, and Billy. We went up and we went into the rink. And how do I explain it? 
without okay so essentially we walked into the rink and it was a, it was a mix of people young and old and when you look at the old, the older people it was all alumni yeah and they all dressed the same they all had their their harvard jacket on the white collar the comb over hair the khakis and me and dudes and billy walk in with those right bright red vests and we're just like the only two are sticking out like sore thumbs <laughs> And we have these people coming up and talking to us because we have the Nova Scotia flag on the back and all these people go to, uh, I don't want to say these people and offend anyone, but they all go to, uh, what's the golf course in Cape Breton, the nice one, Cabot Links. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they all know that flag because of Cabot Links because mm-hmm. wealthy people go there and they golf and all those people in Boston and all those Harvard alumni, they're like, in Nova Scotia, Cabot Links, is that where you're from? Anyways. Wow. So then we, we get the tour from uh, the Harvard facility down below with Willie and you go into the room, you go into the weight room, you go into the, the sauna room, whatever. Brad, not a not a speck of dust, not a not a perfection. Not like you look to your right, you look to your left, you look dead center, you look behind you, and you don't see any errors. Everything was systematically designed for these people to become better human beings. Not even hockey players. You know, there's a classroom off to the left. There's a little you know tape room to the right. Whatever. It's a, it's an NHL facility in a in a college rink, a Harvard rink. I don't know. Maybe fits like two thousand, three thousand people. Okay. But when you go underneath the stands there, and, and you just see the money that's poured into that organization, and then you're kind of upstairs and you're talking to all these alumni people that are at the game. It kind of made sense then and there. Okay, where's this all this rich tradition? Where does it come from? And what you just brought up, it kind of made it all make sense. It's like, yeah, it comes back from the alumni. I oh, never graduated yeah. from a school, so I don't know what an, an alumni program is like. I don't. Oh yeah, I'm just yeah. not in that world. So thinking about what you just said and thinking about the Willie DeVoe story in Harvard and, and seeing all that wealth and the people. Oh, yeah. It kind of just all wrapped it around. Hey, I still get letters from them. Do like, you? Oh, yeah. yeah I don't know. Sure. It's, it's a again, thing. I'm but again, I'm the same boat. I'm like, bring back the men's hockey program and yeah. then we'll talk. They don't have a men's hockey team anymore. Maybe if so. you forked up a million bucks, it'd come Maybe back. Maybe. Eh? <laughs> a couple more hockey schools coming from you. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, no, that's exactly it for sure. For sure, but yeah, I mean that's a, that's a big part of it, and, and like I said, a lot of those people, um, certainly they they donate to academics, but I know athletics is a big part. Even if they weren't athletes at the school, they just enjoyed the games. They just enjoy going to the games and have a big connection to to the football team or the basketball team. So even if they never, you know, played a down for for Harvard yeah. football or whatever, they still is a huge part of them, and they want to donate back to the school so that the football team is taken care of, has nice facilities and all that kind of stuff. But again, how those monies are allocated is usually up to the university and how they want to distribute it. But if you make that million dollar donation, that's a big, big thing. Right. So we'll see. We'll see how I'm, I'm really interested. I'm really interested to see how all of this plays out. Like with every league, every sports league, every school, my kid's going to be back in school in September. I have no idea. Were you homeschooling? We had, uh, we were, Willie Paloff was on. He was talking about homeschooling and his kids and oh, yeah, everyone's yeah. everyone's teaching their kids no no for sure for sure and i have a i have a teenage daughter and a and a little boy so i had a i have a daughter in grade 11 and a son in grade primary oh so he was just he's just going into grade one she's going into grade 12 so were you teaching her algebra or anything like that what do you No, doing? she's a billion times smarter than me like a billion times she's that's she, always the case oh no she's she's <laughs> unbelievable and then to willie's point it was funny because he was mentioned how he's bilingual and we had put um my daughter in french immersion when she was young and so she's still in french immersion and it's sir john a and 
has done great. So then we put our son in there as well. Yeah. And it was tough on the homeschooling because I haven't done French a lot. Like, you know, I, I have a little bit, like a little bit, but even the basics with him, I was kind of struggling with Yeah. for sure. Like I was, I was struggling with it a little bit because he was doing, you know, his assignments in French and, and we were trying to figure it out together because I've been away from it for a while and, you know, his sister would help him out a little bit, but it was still a challenge, Yeah. you know, trying to do the, doing the French school with him, like, you know, trying to, trying to read because it's, you know, we read a lot of French and English books and, and things like that. So, you know, the, sometimes the letters sound different, you know, based on how they're put together in the, in the two languages. So it was, it was a challenge for sure. Yeah. yeah. There was no question about it. So we'll see, we'll see what happens in September. I don't. Any you know. news, any letters or anything? Like you're just like. They're, they're planning on, like right now the plan is to go. Like right now the September. plan is September 8th is the first day of school and we'll see you there and here we go. But they like say, it's going to be interesting. Like, you know, when all this, when all this got, when all this started up, I'm not sure how many cases of COVID we had. Like when, when schools were shut down, I'm not sure how many cases were out there. I don't know. Was it 10? Was it 20? Was it 200? I forget. Right. So it'd be interesting to see on the rebound, how many cases it will take to get a shutdown again. Right. Like if, if we're good to go and we don't have a new case, you know, whatever yeah. through August and we're, we're like July and August are great and everyone's pumped and we're like, wow. But then, you know, some bus from somewhere comes in and all of a sudden, bingo, Nova Scotia has 50 new cases. Is that going to be enough to shut schools down? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just going to be interesting to see how, how it all goes, how it all plays out and, and where we go from here. Because most of the experts I listen to say this thing isn't going anywhere. Like, I mean, you can treat it and all that, but, you know, I don't think you can cure it. I don't think you can wipe it off the face of the earth. So is the is the goal zero like zero chance of anybody ever catching it is that the goal if that's the goal it's going to be tough like i don't know like you know what i mean so it'll be just talking about it gives me anxiety just, me too you know just yeah just, fit, just it freaks me out yeah yeah it really does freak me out yeah for sure because i like you know i've got so many guys and girls and they like i get message you wouldn't believe the message i'm getting like when are we back on the ice like let's go like you know and i'm like oh, okay I yeah. said, we're working on it i said well believe me it's my job i want to be out on the yeah, ice like yeah. i want to get this done but don't feel like you have to rush because i mean hockey nova scotia said we're not having any trials until october 1st of the earliest um so you know september's kind of a wash there the monctonian tournament's already been canceled that's no. in, that's that's in middle of november and that's already been canceled so it's like, what if we have no new cases from July, August, September, October? Like, re like we're gonna say, like, but it's still already canceled. Like, it's still kind of like, so that gives me pause. And and the World U seventeen, World Under seventeen hockey has been canceled. That's a November tournament as well. That's already been canceled. Like, so all the O four kids from New Brun or from Nova Scotia and that want to play in that event and are hoping to play in that event. You know, we've had a lot of guys like. Um, who were the guys drafted this year? Like Leighton Carruthers and and Dylan Andrews and those, yeah. and those kind of guys, right? They were really looking forward to that tournament, maybe having a chance of playing on that. And, you know, now that's already been canceled. And again, it's a yeah. November tournament. So that doesn't fill me with a ton of optimism. Yeah. <laughs> like they were already canceling things that are yeah. four and a half, five months away. Yeah. And so to think of, you know, the QMJHL potentially starting October 1st, I'm thinking that's going to be that's Okay, gonna good. Be so tough. I'm not the only one that – because people have been saying this date to me as well, and I yeah. just kind of go with it. Like, oh, great. Yeah, but yeah. I, you think that as well? You're like, what? what do you oh, no. Like, I, you... I don't think that's very real. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, good. So I'm no. not the only one. No, you're not the only one okay. there. And I I don't think I'm in the, in the like, on the outside on that. I think most people would think the way I'm thinking because, okay, good. Yeah. I mean, if there was a league that was ever 
you know, dependent on fan revenue and, and, you know, fan support and ticket sales and 50, yeah. 50 and, and that kind of stuff It's it's the cue. And I mean, if you're gonna like, like, are they going to be ready to like, if you're going to social distance, I mean, what does that mean? Like, I mean, well, I was just thinking of a, of a rank the other day, actually, I was thinking of this cause I was like, man, I want these kids to be back and I want them to be playing. So many of these kids are excited. It's big years. I'm mean, guys, NHL draft years, you know, they would, they got to get in front of scouts. Like, you know, these I think kind of Baron a lot right now. Yeah. Justin, a, yeah he got injured. He missed the world yes, juniors. He had now right, right now the draft. Just, I think of him. This guy needs to be, you know, he needs to be in front of teams and, and people seeing him. And, and like I said, so, I mean, if you just took a standard rank and I'm just thinking like um on a social distancing kind of thing like if you took you know me in a seat right here like let's say i have to leave okay that the seats on either side of me have to be open so now let's take that but now like the row in front of me that has to be kind of the same and then the row behind me probably too so that means one person in nine seats so now you're talking about a ninth of attendance so even for the mooseheads that place is not that. Now you're only talking about 1,000 people in the stands. But think about intermission when people want to go up and get popcorn and beer. It's like, all right, fuck, like you're going to like How do you just... all do this? How do you run around this? But like I said, like even a, like a, a, a team like the Mooseheads, which could have 9,000 people, now you're talking potentially maybe just 1,000 if you social distance effectively, like using the, the parameters that they're using, say like arm lengths like this. So that would be the row in front of me, the row. So one person, say, per nine seats, yeah. right? You're talking about, so how many rinks, like, I mean, Charlottetown, 3,500, Now you're talking their max they can have is a ninth of that? What is that? Like 600 people, 500 people? So I don't know how you operate a Quebec Major Junior League team. They're, the only thing I can see is that they just play the Maritime teams and they just play the Quebec teams. That would be interesting. Like there's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I Maritime think, bubble. I think everyone would be into that because, yeah. like I said, people want to get in front of scouts. They want, like, I think the kids would yeah. want to play. I think the owners would definitely yeah. – they want some revenue. They got, I mean, they got to get some kind of revenue going, right? Yeah. So maybe that would work. Maybe that would work in kind of a shortened season. And then you could just say, listen, just it's a one-off. It's a one-year thing, man. We just got to deal with it. And then whoever wins the yeah. Quebec bubble, plays against whoever wins the maritime bubble in the Q championship and we just get a neutral site there and they play off and then yeah. the winner of that goes yeah. to the memorial cup like that you know works. maybe just we have to do that this one time like you know that works and i hope somebody says that instead of just turfs it because like i said there's so many guys that that need this opportunity and it's such a such a big big year for them and i would just hate for it to, to just go by the wayside but i'm i'm not you know there's there's no way that that someone's not going to get sick. There's no way that this. So it just depends on how it affects everything. That this is my only argument to that is yeah. that there's going to be a lot of people who are in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have a lot of people in the queue that you know they think they run the show. There's going to be the president. There's going to be I don't know the roles in the queue, but there's going to be people that are just are not. Ha- they're going to be somewhat happy with the decision, but there's going to be other people that are like, eh, I don't think that rule really works, and I don't think this really works. And then they're just going to be bumping heads, and the next thing you know, it's going to be November, and it's like, okay, well, what are we doing? That's just how it works in those top offices. Yeah. I find it's great for the NHL. Like, I feel like if the NHL PA and the NHL can come together, together, it gives junior hockey hope. I really hope that that happens, but yeah. I don't know. In in my head, it just there's a lot of people up at the top that yeah. it might be tough to agree. Yeah, you know. And then like you say, and, then, might, when you, might be and then when you move down. And we've got some guys now that are that are in this situation. You know, we're worried about the the uh, the Evan Fitzpatrick's and the Mason McDonald's and the Chase yeah. Marchands that are playing in the minor pro leagues, that are playing the East Coast Hockey League, that are playing. I didn't the even AHL. think of that. Yeah, like so those kind of guys, right? Where again, I'm sure they get help from their parent teams if they have deals with NHL teams and affiliations there. But I yeah. know they're, you know, I'm sure a lot of their revenues fan based, and the, most of these teams are in the states. 
like East Coast Hockey League and, and AHL. Like, the, I think I'm not trying all, to go to the state. If, I if think I'm it's all in the states. Yes, if I'm exactly. on an East Coast team, I'm not trying to yeah, go anywhere in the I states mean, right now. I know a lot of those teams. I think are even based like in places like Florida and yeah. Texas. Yeah. I know Fitzy played in San Antonio, like you yeah. know, in Texas, like yeah. for the Blues. So, you know, what are those situations going to be like for those kind of minor pro teams, and what what's going to be the priority there for for those guys yeah. in terms of bringing those leagues back? Because again, a lot of those like this is their job now, this is their career, so they're kind of banking on on those salaries and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And you know, so it's it, yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. The states may just say, to hell with it, we're doing everything. I don't know. They seem like they're almost going in that direction. But That's a whole other conversation. Like, it looks That's... like they may get rid of Trump in November, so who knows? Maybe things change then. I don't know. But we'll have to see. Talk yeah. about leadership. None down there. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's been rough. They, yeah, they've, they've, they've had a rough go, especially with, with, like you say, with how crazy 2020's been. They, they've had yeah. a rough go, for sure. So hopefully they can pull it together because, like you said, it's affecting a lot of people, NCAA athletes, you know, like you said, the minor pro guys, yeah. all that kind of stuff. The, the Not even athletes, just people. No, no, everything. Just, like, and everyone associated yeah. with those teams, the people uh, that work in the ticket offices, the people who work at those schools like yeah. that aren't you know, students. Like you said, everything was immaculate. The cleaners, the grounds crews, well, if there's no kids there, if all the classes are online, do those people have jobs? Like, yeah. So, man, oh, man, it's absolutely massive. Like you said, we could do you know three hours on this probably. Yeah, <laughs> People at the top, man, they got to make decisions for sure, for sure. No, it's it's uh it's an interesting time for sure. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting time. I don't even know if I want to go to the route of you know how's the puck stop and business going. Well, you, you know don't want to talk about it it's, or it, it's it, well I do because you know it's it's an important time I think for you know for for Nova Scotia and and you know kind of getting us back to where back to where we were yeah. um i think we're kind of in a in a bit of a slump yeah and you know just looking i was doing a kind of a deep dive on the last you know on the last four q drafts it's the most tangible thing to kind of look at it's it's how we gauge you know moving kids on to the next level the big thing for me is always you know are we getting kids seen are we getting kids in front of hockey canada are we getting kids in front of nhl scouts because that's their ultimate goal um, so if we can get them on that route, you know, NCAA is tough and it's getting even tougher. It's tough for goalies to go that route. I know Nova Scotia's had a lot of success with um, with players um, going that route, which is outstanding. Um, it's tough. It's tough for the attendees. You know, the two the two big feeder leagues for for um, college in the states are the USHL and the BCHL. And those are tough leagues for Nova Scotians to kind of get into. Um, the USHL is extremely tough now for for Canadians in general. Like Canadian goalies count as two import spots oh, for yeah. a USHL team instead of just one import. Yeah, Bowers was saying it was tough to go play down there. It is, yeah, paperwork and, it, and stuff. Yeah, and there's all there's all kinds. Of, and again, the US has kind of launched this thing, um, this this new initiative. I think they launched it maybe a year or two years ago. Um, I think it's 51 and 30, where they want 51 percent of the NHL goalies to be American. Whoa! So, who, yeah, what? that's what they want. Like, who's like, they? Who USA want? Hockey. No way. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. USA Hockey. Yes. Yeah. Okay, sorry. yeah. So they've initiated like a lot of grassroots play and a lot of grassroots programs and stuff like that to to pump up yeah. American goalies, like to help them out. Yeah. So again, from that standpoint, you have guys like me or you know other coaches like that that are down there and have connections to NCAA teams, and they're like, yeah, you could take this guy from Nova Scotia. Well, why wouldn't you take an American? Let's boost our own guys. So there's pressure on that being like, you know what I mean? And even in general, it's just not like I think. 
you know, there's maybe been three or four Nova Scotians play NCAA D1 goalies, like, for men in the last 14, 15 years, something like that. It's just really? Not, yeah, it's just, not, it's just not an avenue for us, really. It's just really, like, again, because we don't play in leagues where those guys are seen. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So, because the USHL is tough for, for Nova Scotian goalies to get into, and the BCHL is kind of tough, too. Yeah. Um, I don't I, – I think maybe Mark Chevery, who played for the University of Denver, was a hell of a goalie, might have been the last – Nova Scotian goalie to play in the BCHL at least at least like any kind of meaningful minutes. No way. And he was back there probably 13 14 years ago, right? So it's just it hasn't been an avenue. Maybe it opens up, I don't know. So for us just kind of doing a deep dive into where kids are getting exposure and where they're getting looked at. Um, you know, we look at kind of that 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 Q spot and and over the past, you know, four drafts, you know, including this year, um uh, we only had you know, one goalie over the past four drafts taking them the first five rounds, which are usually the rounds mm -hmm. where you find goalies that play, mm -hmm. right? Like the goalies that end up getting spots. And it certainly happens later on. Um, Blade Man Dixon, I think, was a 10th or 11th round pick. He ended up playing 96 or 98 games in the queue, so I had a, had a pretty decent career out of it. But for the most part, it's um, it's guys that are in the top five rounds that end up playing, you know, the majority of games or end up landing on spots. And and like I say, not to say that it doesn't happen. So, you know, Jacob Gooby's the only guy, right, like over the past four, four drafts, right, where before that, you know, the previous um, – the previous five from 2012 to 2016, I think we had 11, 10 or 11 goalies drafting the first first five rounds. And I think as 16 and 17-year-olds, those guys played a total of 450 games. And so where Goobies played, I think, 17. And we had another kid, Stewie Bagnell, um, um, play like five, I think. So it's been over the last three years, we've had 16 and 17-year-olds maybe play 22 games in the queue. Okay. And so we're still waiting for that to figure itself out, and we got to see the next draft. But, again, this year we didn't have anybody taken in the first five rounds. We had a sixth round or an 11th and a 12th. Okay. So, you know, not looking great in terms of them playing as 16-year-olds, certainly. Yeah. Um, and then even as 17-year-olds, you know, they're going to have to do a lot of work and, and really, really push themselves to kind of crack into those that league yeah. there. So in terms of how we're preparing kids, you know, how we're developing them, I think we're kind of in a bit of a lull in, in our province. I okay. think we have to do better. I yeah. think we have to work a lot harder and get together and try to figure something out to, to really help these kids. Because the 05 group coming up this year is very good. It's very talented. Okay. But for the most part, I don't know if they've really hit their potential yet either. I think they've been kind of, you know, not living up to my expectations, certainly. Yeah. So I've got to find a way that we can kind of get these kids um, to where they should be because we should have, you know, three or four of this group maybe drafted in the first five rounds, yeah. you know, but we'll see if that plays out. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to see if that plays out. And the other big part is – is whereas, you know, maybe we haven't done as good a job as maybe we could have with um, the 04s and 03s and 02s to an extent, you know, those guys are still kind of hanging around taking spots from the 05 guys. Like, I don't know how many of these 05 guys are actually going to get into Major Midget this year just because maybe the 04s and the 03s haven't moved on. So they've kind of have spots. So you're saying major major, right? So then it's going to be harder for those guys again to get seen by the Q scouts and things like yeah. that, to, or you know, God willing, the BCHL scouts or whatever, yeah. whatever it is, yeah. to get them onto the next level. Yeah. So that's something I think you know, as a province and as a as a goalie kind of development community, 
we have to get together on and, and really find out what we're missing because in 2015 2016 i think you could argue that nova scotia was the best goalie development province in the country like in canada give me some names i know the names i'll, but just... I'll fire it out to you because we're still the only province yet yeah like since the that um canada hockey canada moved to a team canada model to u17 yeah to have a goalie represent canada in the poe at the U20, the U18, and the U17 in the same year. And it was 2015, 2016. And that year was Mason McDonald played for the World Juniors yeah. at U20. Evan Fitzpatrick played for the U18 team at the World Championships. And Matt Welsh played for the U17 team, won gold yeah. for Team Canada there. And so we had that. And then that year, Fitzy was drafted in the second round by St. Louis Blues. And then that year we had, I believe it was, I want to say five... It was Lucas Fitzpatrick, Dakota Lundcornish, Colton Ellis, Max Walford, Alec Donald. It was five goalies taken in the first five rounds of the Q draft. And it was Cole McLaren was taken in the seventh or eighth. And then I believe Oliver Troop was taken in the eighth or ninth. And of all those guys, of those seven goalies that were drafted there, six of them like played games in the Q. Like six of those seven, yeah. and a bunch of them, like Colton Ellis, went on to be defensive rookie of the year. Um, Lucas Fitzpatrick is a is a you know has played a ton of games for for Bay Camoe and Shawinigan, and Dakota Lincornish played a ton of games for Charlottetown and Sherbrooke and Bay Camoe and now Moncton, and I mean guys that like Cole McLaren still with the Mooseheads played you know I think he's close closing in on a hundred games or you where's know, he from by the way Cole yeah he's from the Valley oh so he's here yeah okay. he's, oh yeah no no he's Nova Scotian kid yeah, okay yeah, he's, from, he's from Annapolis Royal actually. you know him well I I know him really well I've trained give him me his number was, after oh yeah yeah I've I've trained him for a long time and he was funny I just went golfing that's why I got the burn on my face <laughs> um, down in Annapolis Royal last weekend that's what I was telling you about I was going on the golf trip oh you went with those boys okay uh, so, well no I just went down with a bunch of friends of mine okay but Cole was working at the golf course where I was playing oh yeah so great we kinda, summer job we that's what I said to him yeah. I'm like dude like what man, more do you, you want? get to play golf and hang out and you know we're going with, with talk to the boys we're going with uh willie devoe and uh matt steinberg next week me and dudes oh nice to, uh you got to bring the camera for that that'd be fun yeah we're gonna bring the camera man for yeah, sure we'll bring no, the camera. for sure that'll be, that'd be fun that'd i want to ask fun. a question about the that 2015 year what yeah how do you duplicate that i guess is my question when, when you have those special group of guys yeah is that god-given talent or is that a training ability or is that reps during a game is it's that a, it's everything it's everything and like so it's said, a little bit of luck there's a little bit of luck oh, in there of dude, having for that sure man for sure there was something special in the water that year for sure so then right? why what do you but then what? if you go back if you go back before that right like if you go back to the draft before that yeah. i mean we still had the year before matt walsh was taken in the second round yeah right the year before yeah. that I mean, Evan Fitzpatrick was taken fourth overall in yeah. the first round. Riley Picker was taken in the second round. Um, Mark Rampauer was taken in the third round. All guys had long, long Q careers, like long careers. Yeah. Um, before that, we had Mason McDonald in the second round. Like, I mean, like, you know, was the first goalie taken in the draft, that kind of thing. And like I said, we've we talked about this the last time I was here a little bit where the the training – like the goaltending training has been fractured a little bit. How so? Well, it's just because everybody everybody's doing it. Everybody wants to do it. What do like, you mean? Do, what do you mean by that fracturing? Well, so let's say like back in those days, there were maybe maybe three of us doing goaltending training. 
like in the province, like really kind of full time and going after it. Yeah. And now since then, because it becomes a thing and people see me do it or other people do it, they're like, man, I want to do that. I was a goalie, like, you know, and so they do it. And maybe they played junior A or maybe they played university or, or whatever like that, but they have connections. And so they, and they're like, Hey Brad, you know, listen, we loved you. The goalies have loved you, but this year, this guy's going to do it. He's from here and we're going to let him handle the goalie development. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Okay. You know, he just finished playing and you know, he's, he's going to be good. The kids, you know, they look up to him. He just finished. I'm like, yeah, but you know, can he coach goalies? Like, you know, because it is a skill. <laughs> it's not like, uh, it's, it's like anything else, right? It's you can be good at something or you can be not good at something. And I'm, I'm sure we've all had, you know, different levels of, of coaching and coaching development. And, and to Nova Scotia's credit, they've tried to, you know, implement some kind of goalie coaching training sessions and, and things yeah. like that. And, and so those are, are certainly a step in the right direction. Um, I think you have to you know, make sure you have the proper people running them. Yeah. Um, I like the two guys you had with you the other day. Yeah, exactly. They, I mean, they yes. were even talking to me. There was times where I was shooting too quickly and they said, Justin, just half a second to, if, if, yeah. what did he say? One guy came up to me and he goes, if you're putting it on the back of the net, you're too soon. If you're hitting them right in the pads, you're way too late. Try to be right in the middle. Yeah. And as soon as I said that, I was, as soon as he said that, I was like, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and everyone listening, Brad, you're not paying me to say this, but when I came out, and you were, you know, you're doing your thing. The passion I saw in your eyes when you were out there talking with to Gooby and Welsh, it was incredible. I, I, I've only been coached by player coaches. I've never really, you know, been on the ice with a goalie coach. And, you know, it's just, it's not who I am. Not, you know, it's, yeah, I've yeah. just never been in that scenario. Yeah. But the amount of things that I've learned about how to make a goalie better, just how long were you, how long was I shooting for? Not even 30, 45 minutes, maybe? Yeah, 40, 45 minutes, yeah. The amount of information that I learned about the position of a goalie was incredible. It's almost I wish I took, I was out there with you as I was almost a player. Yeah, Just yeah. learning goalies' uh, movements, learning goalies' habits, learning goalies' uh, you know, cheats, yeah. you know, cheating on a puck. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's little things I, I picked up when you for were out sure, there. For sure, for sure. Uh, it, it, it was cool. You, you, have and, a, you have a language of your own out there. It's cool. Yeah, and, and I mean, and that's... That's a, and that's a big point. Right. And that's what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, there's 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 definitely people out there who have the information and and, you know, know certain things and know technical things. And, and, you know, but it's just it's when you say them and how you say them and how much you emphasize them. Those kind of things are the things that really separate guys, because like yeah. you said, you can go to a you know, a, a hockey Canada coach. And there are lots of coaches that, that coach in PWB that are head coaches or, or PWA and yeah. things like that. And their heart's in the right place. And they've gone to 50,000 coaching clinics and all that, but they just can't develop players. Yeah. They just can't do it. They just don't, they just don't know what to emphasize and when to do it and yeah. why and, and how to explain it and how to tell it to somebody. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference. It's certainly not just, Oh, I have all these books and I read them and now I'm like, you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, or it's yeah. not just that I played pro and I know, well, dude, yeah. I mean, you know, Wayne Gretzky wasn't a great coach when he tried to coach Phoenix, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's it's certain guys really get to it and yeah. some guys kind of don't. And it's a funny thing you say about the shooters. I'll give you two great examples. Although it's funny, like it's it's you know, goalie coach shooters are really tough to come by, right? They like to be able. To I, I believe that you. Out. The yeah. timing. It's the timing. The timing, and, and like I said, and so, and again, some some programs and stuff aren't willing to. They would rather have a name guy than a good guy as a shooter for a yes goal. as really? a shooter yeah they'd rather have a name guy because and again some parents would rather have a name guy 
Now, the parents of those goalies, those goalies usually don't make it very I far, hate right? Like, uh, Brad, I hate parents sometimes. But again, I uh, fucking hate parents. But, but like, if they're paying, I get it. Yes, you know, for sure. It, and like I said, maybe they prefer it. They're like, you know, a lot of times uh, I've had these conversations with parents. How come, you know, the major junior guy's not shooting on my guy? I'm like, don't worry about it. The guy shooting on your guy is probably the best shooter in the business. Oh, I want him shooting with the major junior guy. That's I'm like, dude, like, trust me on this, right? Yeah. Like I, but, and again, so, to, like, the, the two best shooters I've ever had, ever, um, one guy has been with me. I don't know how long he's been, but I think he played a little bit of junior B, but the highest I think he ever played was high school. He may have played some junior B cup oh. of coffee. The guy's the best goalie school shooter so, I've ever so encountered. Explain that. How? He just, like, he, he has, he's there for the right reasons. He's there for the goalies. Like that's yeah. all he cares about, right? Is helping the goalies get better, helping them. Like, so he just, he just likes the job. He likes shooting pucks and this kind of thing, but he's phenomenal. And the other guy is um, a hell of a hockey player. He's Connor Welsh plays for Dalhousie. Um, but again, just smart. Like just smart, knows the game, knows the timing, understands. Like when we did that that thing about the passing we were talking about, like yeah. just gets the timing of a pass and how much time it should take and how much time he should give the goalie to get over there. And just super accurate, hits the spots, never misses the net, doesn't bring it off the bar, doesn't go bar down fifty times, but still challenges goalies. Like still knows how to challenge. Goalies well, that's what Welsh was it. saying in the video. He's yeah. like, "You're just out here to to snipe on me." Yeah. And that's what the other shooters do. And I said, yeah, "No, yeah. Man, I'm a podcaster. Yeah. I'm not trying to become a better player. I'm out here to help you." Yeah, like that's, it, but, sure, but it's true if you're sure, a parent sure. and i understand the parents aspect is oh why isn't the major junior guy shooting on my kid like i want that yeah you don't want the major junior guy shooting on not your kid because the, ma the major junior not guy wants to be a better shooter yeah you want the guy that wants and some major junior guys are really good and i'll give you an example uh kid uh alex drover yeah he's a kid who was a first round draft pick to the queue yeah he's been and, on the podcast and the, yes yeah. and the year he played for the max when he tore it up and became a first round draft pick he was shooting with us all the time, and he said it made such a difference. He said, "Man, yeah, I he see, said, I believe him." He That's... said, "I it made I just see the net better. I see what goalies are doing. I can see if they're holding their like you know what I mean." And when he was with us, he challenged goalies, but he did the job right. So you could still do the job right, and it could still help you as a shooter. And that's like to kind of Welshie's point, oh, you're just out here to snipe. Like, even if you're a shooter that's not just out there to snipe, you can still improve as a shooter. Absolutely. Just because you're paying attention to what the drill is and what the situation is and all that kind of stuff. And another guy, it'd be another kid you might have in, is um, Ethan Landry. I've had him on, too. Who was yeah. just the first overall pick in the Junior A draft. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, so maybe where does he play now, Ethan? Well, Lane. he was up in St. Andrews, I think, St. Andrews College. Oh, no, I had Ethan Phillips. That's yeah, what I'm Ethan I'm Phillips. Sorry. So okay, Ethan, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. just the first overall pick in the in the MHL draft, this most recent one. Okay, and he's played with Drover. They they kind of grew up together and stuff. So they were kind of shooting with us together. But yeah. he's another guy, and he, and again. The first thing, and Drover just, I got a text from him the other day. He's like, man, when are we shooting? I got to get out. I, I want to shoot some goalies. <laughs> and Ethan's the same way. And here's a guy who's the first overall pick in Junior A, yeah. but is a hell of a goalie school shooter. Just because he thinks the game so well, he understands the game yeah. so well, accurate shot, hard shot, but isn't in it just to make goalies look bad, yeah. has that understanding that he can, the goalies can still look good and he can still get something out of it. Here's like, my you know I mean? Here's my theory behind what I learned. When I'm, if I'm going to practice with my team and I'm coming down on a two on one, I'm looking at the holes of a goalie. I'm mm -hmm. going top right, top left, bottom, five hole, below the wherever. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the holes. Mm -hmm. But what I learned from going out with you for the, that 45 minutes was the tendency of when a goalie slides from right to left and where his shoulders are, where his pads are, where his blocker are, and what he's thinking about first. When Gooby slide to the right a little bit, and I take that first shot and I go trapper right away. 
I, I saw where his trapper was. I saw where I saw where his shoulder was. I saw yeah. the movement. It's hard to explain if you don't play hockey, but mm-hmm. if you see the movement of a goalie and like the 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 goalie or the the school shooting, or, well, Jesus, not school shooting. The yeah. What am I trying to the say? Goalie school Goal shooting. Goalie school shooting. Yeah, yeah. Too many glasses of red wine. <laughs> uh, I, I I just noticed the tendencies of things. And yes. I didn't notice those in practice. In practice, all I wanted to do was score. Yes. But I wasn't thinking. Okay, well, where's where's this goalie? Where's this trapper going? Where's his shoulder going? Where's where are things going? Yeah, but it's cool. The, the little the movements, I guess. It was really interesting. No, and yeah, the timing. No. Sorry, the timing. No, absolutely. And just and like I say, when we talk to guys about what are the easiest places for shooters to score on in a certain area of the ice, right? Like whether like we were doing the one when they're above the hash marks. Yeah. When they're below the hash marks, yeah. what are the areas of the net that the goalies really have to focus on to cover? Yeah. Now, you can still shoot and help the goalies improve there, but still in your mind, you're like, okay, now I know what I'm looking for when I go to play. Like, I know what the easiest spot for me to score on. doesn't mean I have to score on this kid and make him look bad. Yeah. It just means that I know it, and I can start looking to hit that spot as I work on my practicing or as I work on my practicing with my team yeah. or when I'm in games. Yeah. So that's what guys like like um, like Drover or Welshie or whoever have kind of said to us is that they you know it's kind of helped them look for goalie tendencies and and really like you know their percentages in certain areas have, have really improved because they know where to go on goalies because we try to tell goalies where you're most Vulnerable. susceptible yeah. in a certain spot. That's yeah. right. So the shooters pick up on that. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they pick up on it like you know to repeat to make the goalies look bad in a stupid practice. I like who cares if you score in a practice session, right? Like and again, yeah. I've had goalies that were or shooters that were kind of like, "Oh yeah, man, I just scored, you know, four in a row on Evan Fitzpatrick or whatever. <laughs> you know, my coach is an idiot. I should be on the power play." I'm like, "Dude, man, you shouldn't be on the power oh, play. You're geez. cheating the drill cuz we told you what it was and you're shooting early." Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, give it a rest. But the smart guys and the guys that really understand the game and have good hockey IQ can figure out that they can still help the goalies and help my program yes. but at the same time they can improve as shooters there's no way you, you can definitely have the best of both worlds there for sure you're gonna have a bunch of people messaging uh, hockey players saying hey can i come out and uh, shoot you that's, that's they the should, problem with and the i hope they do right <laughs> they should i hope they do <laughs> well you're gonna run into some bad shooters that's the well that's the you thing. know what we wean them out we just kind of that's it they're kind of hey man any sessions coming up and i'm just kind of like uh um, yeah, COVID COVID <laughs> but then like i said i've guys that i that i've had for years and years and years and when they say you know geez man i got a new job and i i'm like oh my god i can't believe i have to replace you like because it's such an asset yeah it's such an asset and i like i did a a presentation for coaches this year um it's a big part of my presentation now is um, the most important part of developing a good goalie is a shooter right is a shooter and that means in practice too that means helping coaches practice plan so that they can help their players right become better players by becoming better goalie friendly shooters right and again it does not hurt their players most coaches we talk to about this say we're scoring more goals now since you guys have kind of talked to us about how to help goalies in practice because we teach them stuff that happens in games that's game real like we don't like you know i'll give you an example like you know a flow drill right it's hard for us in here we don't have a, a whiteboard but I'm like, I, I bring shooters in all the time or I bring a team that I'm out working with and won't work with the max, let's say, right? And Timmy's one of the best, right? Tim's one of the best for developing goalies. Look at the goalies that have come out of his program because he pays so much attention to it and he gives me a lot of like kind of freedom and, and gives me time to work with his players and things like that yeah. on, you know, different kind of things that'll help them score, yeah. but help their goalies. Because I'm like, guys, 
what do you think I tell your goalies, like let's say at the major midget level, to do when a player gets the puck at the far blue line and skates about 50% winding and down and then just cruises in, gliding to the hash marks and shoot? I'm like, how many times do you think I do that with goalies, that drill? And they're like, oh, none. I'm like, exactly. So I'm like, what's the point of you doing it? Right. So when these guys come down and flow drills and he's coming down and cr crank up one tease from the hash marks, like I'm like, guys, like, who are you helping? You're not helping your goalies at all. And you're not helping you. You're never going to get that chance in a game. You ever see a well, she's mic'd up video when we went up there? Yeah. <laughs> Boys, you're supposed to score. Of, it's a two on oh. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah. again, and one of the things we work on with, with coaches when we do these clinics is you can do effective two on O's in practice because How? two on O's are kind of important. And they are because if you add D to every drill, then you're not going to get shots. Right, because well, these might break it up. Yeah, these okay, might break okay, it up. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. so you like two on O's certainly have a place, but the two on O goofball stuff, right, does not have a place. So you do two on O's where one player is limited to a certain area of the ice, the other player is limited to another. Maybe area Maybe like of the outside ice. the hash marks. Exactly. Or something so you like may that. switch yeah, things in, yeah. right? You may stagger them. Okay, on this two on O guys, the puck carrier is going to drive down low. Low and wide, bottom circle on the right. The second guy is actually going to pop up, so you can start simulating game situations without adding defense. Because if you add defense, maybe the pass gets picked off, yeah. and now the goalie didn't get a shot. You guys didn't get a shot. You didn't get to really work on this play. So we understand the need for one on o, two on o, three on o drills. I say that to coaches all the time. Yeah. I understand the need for that. We need that, but at the same time, it can be really ineffective to both goalies and players. If you're not putting in some obstacles, some limitations, some, you know, rules, as it were, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and That's then easy. And it's like just before said, the before the boys break. All right, boys, make sure the right. shots are outside the hash mark. That's easy. Right. Let's go. Exactly. Takes two seconds. Right. You do a three on O drill. Once you're inside the ringette line, guys, it's one pass only. Yeah. Like, boom, done. Yeah. So you can do one pass. That happens in a game. Like, yeah. man, the quick play across the crease. But you can't do the quick. And then the bump to the high guy who rips a clapper because the goalie just slid out of the net because he was playing the one-timer <laughs> yeah, down yeah, low. Yeah. And you'd be shocked. And like I said, this comes back to it, right? Because there are a lot of coaches, if they were sitting in here with me, mm. would go, yeah, Brad, you're 100%. And then I go to their practice, and they let it happen. So that's what I'm saying. Guys may have the information, just like the goalie training, mm. but they just don't have the wherewithal to implement it properly yeah. right they don't implement it or they don't implement it properly so they may have the information they may have the vocabulary man this guy knows a lot about goaltending but for whatever reason he can't develop a goalie right mm. so it's like why is that right why does this guy talk such a great game but just can't put it to practice and that's it right some guys you can either learn it or you just have an instinct for it right just from watching the game and playing the game or whatever it is but some guys just have a knack for it and we see that across the country right yeah. the same the same goalie coaches are developing goalies year after year after year and the same guys aren't right so it's just kind of up to us as a, as a community to to figure out the best way so that everyone can be involved in the best development plan possible because all I want is for our kids to be the best in the world. That's all. I, it's you know that would be the coolest thing, right? I want you to have more guys in here. When's the last time you had a goalie in here? We got to get a goalie in here. You got to get a guy. I think it was Fitzy, I think. <laughs> yeah, it may have been Fitzy. Well, right? let's so, get uh, yeah, yeah. We'll uh, get Cole in. We'll let's try, get Cole. We'll in. try to get him down. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Because again, great engaging personality, too, yeah. an awesome kid. So, and there's tons of them around, right? We were, you know, there's a lot of guys that have really had a lot of success, and a lot of girls too. Um, didn't someone just sign with here. Maine? Yes. Well, um, 
uh, Carly Jackson. That's who it was, From the yeah. University of Maine. I think she's from, like, the Amherst area. Okay. So if she's ever down training or something like that, it'd be Let something to get Yeah, get you guys hooked up because she's, again, another great personality. And a kid, she's a hell of a ball player, too. Interesting. She's, like, a world-class, like, fast pitch, like, Dudes uh, will have some questions player. for her. Yeah, for sure. But she, yeah, she had a dynamite year this year at, uh, at UMaine. Was, yeah. like, one of the top goalies in NCAA D1. No and way. I think she was picked... She was picked in the first round, I think I want to say, like third overall by the Buffalo professional women's team. No way. Like that NWHL team. So she'd be a fantastic girl to get in here. Yeah, and, and me kind up. of talk goaltending for sure, for sure, for sure. Because, uh, yeah, like, again, the more the more goalies we have on the same page in this province and kind of working together, the better off we're going to be. Because I think we we mentioned that the last time I was in is is how important it was that I that we had that group together, kind of trained together and pushing each other. Mm. And it's it, so that everyone's on the same page because people do have different vocabulary and different kind of ways. And, and if you're hearing one thing here and one thing here, it does get a little bit tricky. And, yep. and again, you're always going to have different levels of, of priorities for, for what people tell you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this guy is is coaching the hockey Nova Scotia team, so I better listen to him, right? But it's not quite what Brad said, but Brad, you know, puts a lot of guys in the queue, so should I have done that yeah. instead with my glove? Or yeah. should I, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you run into that a lot, and yeah. especially we talked about this last time, once the kids kind of hit that major junior level, my influence really starts to – Starts to drop because they listen to their coach. Because they have a a, a, a goalie coach with their Quebec Major Junior team. If yeah. they're lucky enough to get invited to Hockey Canada, which a lot of our guys have, yeah. they have goalie coaches there. Their agents that they that have goalie coaches. Yeah. So you know, if an NHL team drafts them, yeah. that team has goalie coaches as goalie development. So yeah. once they get up into that level, they're getting like five six different voices like no geez brad told you that no you should do it this way and it's like man it's worked for me so far well no this is the way we do it so you're kind of like the goalies uh, are kind of you know what i mean and they come back to you in the summer and yeah it's a new and, it's, and it's a little yeah and so they're changed a little bit so again it's it's one thing you kind of have to take the the good and the bad with it because yeah. we want guys to excel and we certainly don't we always want you know goalies to be open-minded and to, you know not think that our way is the only way yeah. but at the same time if something's not working for you yeah. It's you know you shouldn't have to combat somebody if it's not working for you. You shouldn't if they say no, this is the way, and you're like, oh geez. And we've seen some kids you know kind of stumble because of that and had yeah. some setbacks because of that because yeah. they're trying to please too many people. And I think and again that's where we get where we where we've been in Nova Scotia. I think and I think it's been one of the main reasons is because you know a lot of associations now like let's say Cole Harbor minor hockey and Bedford minor hockey and Halifax minor hockey. These minor hockey associations have designated goalie oh, do coaches now. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So I may have a goalie that we've worked with a lot. He goes to that association. Well, this guy tells me this. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, like, all right, that's a little different. And then he or she may get invited to a hockey Nova Scotia camp. Now they're telling me this. This is a different guy. Oh, well, I'm like, okay, well, that's a little different. And then maybe they go to a major midget. And now that goalie coach, the major midget goalie coach, he's, he's like, now this. Uh, we've seen goalies really have trouble. And I think it stunts their development a little bit, right? You see these people at the bar you're like what the fuck what are you doing well, these guys like, you know it's just it's like you know like again it's not that there's there's only one way to skin a cat because there isn't but at the same time i think there needs to be you know a little bit of of yeah. uniformity and, yeah. and things like that when you're kind of getting things across and and you know hopefully we'll get better at it because like i said it's 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 been a bit of a lull for us and just based on the talent that we have in this province i like the talent i think the 05 like i said the group coming up is is really really good i think there's some good talent in the 06 group too that just played major bantam and um and the 07s too we'll see um but 
you know, hopefully we can we can get back on track because it has been a bit of a a bit of a lull for us in this province where, you know, four years ago, you know, we, we were looking like the, on the, top ca- of the, the world. cat's pajamas, right? Yeah. And that, you know, that, that goalie development in Canada was kind of, you know, hubbing in, in Nova Scotia. And people were like, holy cow, look at what's going on down yeah. there. And it's kind of, we've kind of got away from that. So my hope is that, is that we bring it back because it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun when, when everyone's hyped about it and we're seeing all these kids at the drafts and, and getting it invites to camps and, and things like that. And, you know, everyone's excited because then they think it's possible, right? Like, you know what I mean? And now now we're in the situation here, where, like I said, we're over four years, only one guy drafting the first five rounds, not a lot of kids playing there. So that excitement level yeah. starts to, oh, you know, do I really have a shot? Whereas before, kids really, you know, geez, man, well, I got a shot at this. I'm yeah. going to get in front of NHL scouts. Like, you know, people yeah. are going to see me play. Yeah. And that's the big thing. I'm not telling anyone we're going to get in the NHL. It's a tough thing to do. Like I said, and you're, and you're going to have to The toughest. Yeah, it's a very, very difficult thing. But if we can get them to a point, whether it's the the um, QMJHL or the NCAA, um, either one of those routes, and maybe like even CIS, right? More guys are getting pro looks from U Sports now, and they should because it's phenomenal. Oh, hockey, right? some of those shots coming from Dude. the guys in the CIS break the glass every time. Right. One of those SMU practices this year, you're watching these guys rip it off the fu- oh, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. It's insane. And like I said, I've worked with SMU now for the past couple of years and, and got to work closely with Eric Broussard, who's a phenomenal talent. Yeah, like was a great goalie for the Mooseheads. You know, he yeah. had that big run in the playoffs here for those guys after he came over in the Fucali trade, maybe um, from Quebec, but. He's just a phenomenal talent and should definitely get a pro look. Like, you know, he's a, he's a heck of a goalie and, and certainly good enough to do it. So, you know, whether it's, you know, Q or Major Junior or NCAA or U Sports, you know, getting those kids to that high, high peak of amateur hockey. Yeah. Like the highest you can really get in amateur hockey, either university or Major Junior. Yeah. If we can get them there, then, you know, that's then, you know, it's like, hey, man, like, let's see if you really have what it takes. Like, and yeah. then we'll and then we'll kind of see. And yeah. if, if it doesn't work out for you, well, you know, maybe we screwed up, or maybe you just, maybe you didn't have what it takes. Yeah. But the 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 fewer and fewer goalies we're moving on is is, is really disheartening because uh, you know I think we have some talent down here, and I want to see that. I want to see. And the more kids we move on and get invited to Hockey Canada and get drafted to the NHL, the more scouts kind of look at you. Yeah. Right. The more they and that's the other thing, right? Like the drop off we had doesn't really make sense because there should be more scouts looking at us because of the success we've had. Yeah. Right. They should be kind of saying, hey, wait a second. We got to look at whoever the best guy in Nova Scotia is yeah. should be up there. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like just because of the, the talent pool they have down there and the yeah. good job they've done developing goalies. But we've got to do a better job. We do. Bottom line. Yeah, bottom line. We've got to do a better job. And I could say that I've got to do a better job. Like, you know, for the for those years. Um, in 16, 17, um, I was full-time at Newbridge Academy, so that took away a lot from my minor hockey presence. In 17 and 18, I moved to Shearbrook to coach in the queue, and so that definitely took a lot from my, a lot away from my minor hockey presence. And then the year after, 18, 19, I was back at Newbridge Academy full-time. So, again, not a lot of time to do minor hockey stuff, which I had always done. So where, I, where's your mind at right now? Minor hockey. Like, that's okay. 100%. That's what I love. Yeah. That's 100% what I love. It's it's my first love is yeah. 100%. Like right now, because again, like the, even these pro jobs, man, like if an NHL came to me, a team right now, I'd say no way. No way. You wouldn't say no. that. You'd say Dude, no way I'd to an NHL no team. No way. No chance. Why? Because you're not going to last. Right. So what? You no, get an NHL no, no, experience. No, 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 no. It's just it's just one team. Talking to the mic. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Just one team. Yeah. No, I wouldn't want it. No, no I wouldn't way. want. It. I had that. Exp- I had that conversation with the guys in Sherbrooke. 
like when I like after the year. Like you I just said, yeah. I can't yeah. believe you do that. I yeah, I just said, say no. Yeah, no, I just said I'm not going to be back just because like it's just one team, and I'd rather develop a ton of goalies than just work with two or three or whatever like that. And so yeah, money's good or whatever. But I mean, you can do okay if you grind it out like doing what I do. Like you can yeah. do okay, and that's fine. And um, but yeah, no, for sure. That's for crazy. sure, for sure, I for can't sure. Believe that. Oh no, I'd that rather, says a lot I, about you. No, well, you know, well, and it's not it's not good or bad either. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like it's not good or bad. But I, I think just, it's really good. Like. For me, I would much rather develop young people, like develop young people, like 100%. Like, really? I would much rather develop young people. There's no question about it. Even when I when I first became a teacher, I wanted to be a high school teacher. I didn't want to be a university professor, yeah. right? Like when I wanted to be a teacher, I wanted to work with young people. Yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to develop young people. I wanted to influence them. That's yeah. the big thing. Like I said, I'm still in touch now with guys that, that we work with since they were nine years old. Yeah. Now, you know, guys like Mason McDonald, one of my first, first full-time clients, is now playing pro at 24. So we've been 15 years together kind of yeah. thing. We still play golf together, right? Yeah. Like it's it's really fun to kind of develop those relationships and see like how they grow and things like that. But for me, yes, for me, 100%, I would rather, and, and if that meant like going national, let's say, if Hockey Canada came and called and said, Brad, hey, man, we love what you do in Nova Scotia. We'd love for you to kind of pitch into what we're doing on a national level, developing minor hockey goalies. I definitely, I'd love to do something like That'd that. Be, that's the dream right. job, right? Yes, a hundred percent, right? Or if if the NHL said we want you to do a grassroots thing, or the Q yeah. said a grassroots thing for Quebec and the Atlantic provinces, yeah. I'd be like, that's what I would love. Almost to creating do. your own position, rather than yeah. just you know, because like you say, you have two goalies in the NHL or whatever, and one of them's in a slump, and the coach is coming in and kicking the chair. How come our goalies <laughs> can't stop a freaking beach ball? And you're just sitting there stressed out above your mind. And, I, I can see that, and you can't yeah, go yeah, back yeah. to just worry. Like I found it really tough. That was the most difficult thing I had when I was in Sherbrooke, was that you know not being able because the language barrier was tough for me. I couldn't really run a lot of camps or anything like that. And plus the time demands on the job, doing the video and all that for the team. It yeah. was just something I couldn't do. And it really like like almost depressed me. Like yeah. it was really, really tough to kind of deal with because I was used to working with major Bantam goalies, major midget and peewee triple A. And I love working with those kids yeah. and, and seeing them develop. So for me, it's 100% minor hockey development. That's what I'll do for the rest of it. Like for sure. I'm, I'm, whether that's locally, nationally, internationally, yeah. I would definitely do something like that, but it would be a grassroots yeah. development. Like, let's get kids, like, let's turn them into pros. Yeah. I could care less. Like, not I could care less. I still work with Mason and Fitz yeah, and all yeah, those yeah, guys yeah, now yeah, that they're yeah, pros. Yeah. But my heart is developing the guys. Yeah. There's no question about that. Fundamentals. Yes, fundamentals. And I think the results show that. Yeah. Right? Is that, you know, the guys, the guys and girls we have in minor hockey, you yeah. know, develop they produce so yeah, yeah. brad we're gonna end it there oh, awesome hour 20 thank you very much for coming was on it really yeah you're look at that <laughs> well see we had the big covid talk at the start so yeah that i know that it. Yeah, gets yeah. you that gets you at the beginning you get in a vortex of the covid for sure but. thank you for coming though you're welcome back anytime you know that the fact yes that, and i'm uh, gonna send you some names i'm gonna send you some goalie names that i think you should talk to for sure i got nothing else to do but to yeah. talk to people yeah for Let sure man for sure all right everyone listening thank you very much for tuning in once again I got nothing else. Thank you very much. We're out. Peace. There is a house in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. And it's been the ruin of many a poor boy. And God.